As I became older, you learn about those words like anxiety. You learn about things that can motivate you to, you know, get up in the morning. I had a little depression here and there over the years. I noticed that when I would run, I would be fine. I love reading about the mind, body, and spirit, and I love reading about people who accelerate in the field they're in. And they always have this one thing that they do every day that gets them up in the morning and gets them going. For me, that's running. Some of us go running to breathe fresh air and get our hearts pumping. Some of us use running as a way to connect. Maybe it's with a run club or just your best running buddy. Some of us run because we like to compete in races and to push ourselves. And sometimes we sign up for 5Ks or marathons to fundraise for a cause. Life coach and author Nicole Hodges has run for many of these reasons, but now she's running for the most important cause yet. After black healthcare worker Brianna Taylor was murdered by Louisville police in 2020, Nicole co-founded the group Unity Runners, formerly known as Run for Brianna. It started simply. Nicole printed out a race bib with Brianna's name on it, and she wore it during her daily runs. This act of remembrance has turned into a full-blown movement. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. The movement to see justice for Breonna Taylor began nearly two years ago, and Nicole's one of many community leaders who have advocated to keep her name alive. Before she co-founded Unity Runners, Nicole was a lifelong competitive athlete. In high school and college, running track taught her discipline and training techniques. And as an adult, running has improved Nicole's mental health and helped her move through challenging seasons. But no matter where she's running or what distance, it's a tool she's always had in her belt. All right, I have Nicole Hodges in my house. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm just excited (laughs) to do an in-person interview. Yes. So one of the things I read about you is you've been a really accomplished runner for 35 years now. Yeah. How did you discover running and how did you fall in love with it? Well, I mean, when I was a little kid, my mom was like, I was running from her all the time, just trying to get into stuff. So that's the first thing. But um, I really fell into running. Uh, I would say around the age of 14, 15 years old, we had track and field day at my middle school. And I did, I think, the 100 and the triple jump and the high jump. And I was winning everything. And, you know, that feeds your ego. So I'm like, okay, I need more of this. As a little kid. As a little kid. And as soon as high school hit, I joined the track team and it was pretty much over by then. So I was hooked. And you were winning in high school instantly. I was one of the top runners in Missouri, became one of the top 400 meter runners, got recruited for that and uh, got a uh, scholarship to the University of Missouri. Go Mizzou. And I ran for them for four and a half years. And uh, yeah. Can I ask you what your 400 time was? (laughs) (laughs) My best 400 time was around uh, mid 52. Holy cow. So I was right underneath the ones who were like making it to the Olympics. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. My nephew is now into running Mm -hmm. and he's five Mm -hmm. and he just wants to race. So we took him to do a kid's turkey trot and he'd never run anything besides a 50 yard sprint. Yeah. And this race was a mile and a half. So he was so excited. He was eating bananas because I told him bananas made him faster. Got the starting line. He runs. (laughs) 
50 yards later, he's like, Auntie Shelby, will you carry me? I was like, dude, you better keep running. That kid's normal, actually. <laughs> so how did you like learn to like train yourself and keep going and um, not just die after 50 yards? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old, I mean, think about it. You're just doing you're eating everything. You, you can do everything. There is no no in your head. So you just keep going. So um, for me, it was just I just have stored up energy. I'm still the same way. You probably could see me like you know, jumping up and down here in this chair, but I just did it. And then of course, you know, you get a your coach and you train and I have issues sticking to a training plan, but, too. but yeah, I don't want to say that I'm ADD. I don't think I'm that, but I'm just, I just have a, little, a lot, a lot of high energy and that's what really got me through a lot of my races. So I like what you said that when you're 14, 15, you don't know, no, right. But you've kept going. So how have you shush the nose you mean like now I'm still running I for me it's just it's like breathing at this point and as I became older you know you learn about those words like anxiety you learn about things that can motivate you to you know get up in the morning I had a little depression here and there over the years and then I noticed that when I would run I would be fine Mm. And it would just get me through the day. So, um, and then like, I love reading about the mind, body, and spirit. And I love reading about people who accelerate in the field they're in. And they always have this one thing that they do every day that gets them up in the morning and gets them going. And for me, that's running. When I don't run, like I took six days off, my body was telling me, you need to take six days off or I'm not going to function for you. And so I listen to my body. I'm very in tune with what's going on inside and out. And so I just listen to it. And then when I'm ready to get back out there, I get back out there. So as long as I'm in tune with my body and I listen to it, I can keep going. So, yeah, I've dealt with a little depression here and there. And I've always found that running has been, for me, amazing at mm-hmm. being, you know, an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. It just feels good. Sometimes I've used that in place of all sorts of things. And it's been slightly destructive for me. I don't know about you, but I, I am interested in this, like, mind, body, spirit connection. Like, what does that mean for you? And I know now you coach other women on that. Mm -hmm. How do you help people first listen to their body? I was a personal trainer for years um, when my daughters were little. I think they were like five and eight or something like that. And I would train primarily women. And I noticed that I could have them lifting weights all day long. I could have them jumping up and down and doing cartwheels if I wanted to. But if their mind and their spirit weren't in the right place, we weren't getting anywhere. They would hit a plateau. They would come in complaining. And I'm a happy person generally. And so it was really hard for me to figure out, like, what's going on with these women? And so I started talking to them a little bit more past the body. You know, so while they were working out, I would, you know, and a good trainer does this, like, how's your day going? You know, what's going on? But when I would hear the same thing over and over, it could be their kid or their marriage or a relationship or their job. I would have them kind of focus on that. And then I would give them suggestions and they'd be very light suggestions. Cause I'm not a therapist, but I might say, Hey, you know, what do you think about doing this instead of that? You know, and you can see something just click in their head. Like I never thought about that because I'm an outside person looking in and they would make those small little changes. And then they'd come in the next week and they'd be rock and roll and ready to go. And their whole, attitude changed. I'm very in tune with people's spirits. Like when I met you and I talked to you, I could just tell there was this amazing energy. You can tell when there's something like not right in someone's life. Cause I've been there, you know? So when we talk about like what's going on in their life and what's going on in their mind, you know, I always like that cognitive therapy where you replace a bad thing with a good thing. Even if you don't believe it, just say it to yourself. 
And you start believing it because you're believing the bad stuff that's coming in your head. So why not believe the good stuff? And it just starts feeding their spirit. And then you start changing their workout to the things that they like to do. So like, okay, yeah, they're lifting weights, but what can we do other than lift weights that you like to do? Is it gardening? Is it dancing? Is it riding your bike? Okay, we're going to incorporate that in your workout. And then once you start getting those three things going, you just see a shift in a person. You see a change. And, it, and anyone can do it, but you have to be willing to do it. You have to hear what your body and your mind and your spirit are telling you, and you have to follow it. And you have to be ready. Consistency is hard. It is very hard. I'm really curious about the thought thing. So mm-hmm. I had on this Holocaust survivor who's, I think she's 93 now, Dr. Wow. Edith Eager. She's yes. so cool. Yes. But she says, you know, thoughts are like food. You have it to. It really is. So what's an example of like a thought that someone would say to you and then you're like, shift it to this and how mm-hmm. can we switch it? Because I think yes, I really suffer from it. I have mm-hmm. a lot of like negative thoughts mm-hmm. that come in. Mm-hmm. I was just talking with someone and so she was saying like, I know that. I'm all these good things over here, but then I feel like this over there, you know? And so like, I just feel like, you know, and it makes me feel sad and frustrated. And and I'm like, well, let's focus on the stuff that you know that you're good at. You're experienced, you're smart, you're unique, which you think is a negative, it's actually a positive. And then we just start naming all these things. And I said, if you can focus on those things, make them your mantra and keep telling those things to yourself. Like this morning, I felt like crap this morning when I was trying to run those two and a half miles. But I kept telling myself, you're strong, you're athletic, and you can do it. And I just said that over and over in my head. And my pace started picking up a little bit. My breathing was coming together. And I finished at two and a half miles, <laughs> which I was hoping was four. But I finished at two and a half miles feeling really, really good. Because when your mind hears your mouth telling you this, it's going to start listening to it. When you wake up in the morning, most of us have how many thoughts of negative thoughts in our head as soon as we wake up in the morning I'm before like we put our foot on the ground. Debbie Downer sometimes <laughs> exactly. when I wake up. It's awful. Exactly. And you literally have to say, stop. Shelby, stop. This is this is what we're gonna focus on today. And you have to keep your mind on that. Focusing on kind and supportive thoughts can make a huge difference in how we feel and perform. It's no surprise that many professional athletes and regular people alike work on improving their mindset. As Nicole learned more about the mind-body-spirit connection and applied it to her own training, she started to perform better. This powerful practice inspired her to create a fitness program alongside her day job in product design and licensing. The program is called Rise Sessions, with classes focused on improving both our physical and emotional well-being. I've read you've created these rise sessions because of your two daughters. How old are they again? 23 and 19. 23 and 19. And one of them is a professional runner. Yeah. Professional runner. What does that mean? She runs for Brooks and she runs 800 meters. She's one of the top runners in the country. And uh, yeah, she's doing really good. And she's going into her second professional season. So Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And then the, the younger daughter, is it? The younger daughter is about to go to Yale. She's going to be a soccer player. So we're really excited for her. Wow. What a boss. <laughs> yeah, she is a boss. They're both bosses. And my goal for them was once I saw their interest in their sports and in their academics, I wanted to make sure that I was there for them to hone in on those two things. And um, if there was any shift in their attitude with either sport, then um, I would help them shift and find what it was they were looking for. Um, I remember my youngest one, actually, she was the one who helped me get into this whole thing because 
the parents would be sitting out there and um, they'd be talking about how we're just sitting here. We should be working out. And she's like, my mom's a personal trainer. She can do the boot camp. And so that's, and <laughs> they start paying me to the boot camp. And I got really interested in people's well-being and it really started on the soccer field. Okay. So you were the boot camp. That's great that soccer moms like would hire you to it was do soccer boot moms camp. and dads. There was like a good 10 of us out there and we would work out two times a week and they'd pay me a little something on the side. You know, I didn't really care if they did or didn't. And we just totally enjoyed it. And then I built a program at our local church with two other personal trainers. And then that's really kind of where the body, mind and spirit started because, you know, we would have huge groups of people come in like 20, 30 people. And you'd always have these side conversations. And when you're sitting there talking and getting people's mind working in a way that they never thought it could work before, it may not happen the next day, but Every time I'd see them like two or three years later and they're like, and they're like this completely different person. Like, well, we had that conversation like a year ago. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I knew you recently wrote a book, Time to Rise, Get Fit and Stay There. How did you come up with the name? Oh, that's a good question. It probably just came to me, really. I mean, I just want people to get fit and I want them to stay there. And people are always telling me it's not possible and it is possible. So tell me a little more about the premise of this book, Time to Rise. Yeah. So I was doing presentations for the church for, you know, health and wellness things. And so I start talking to women about it. And what was happening was after I get off the stage, they come over and they ask me all these questions, you know, because they had little kids and they're like, how are you doing all this? And you've got two girls. And and so I would explain to them how I would organize my day and I would make sure that it what we call self-care today, but just making sure I took care of myself first before I could take care of them. And they were just really intrigued. And so then when I would go into doing the personal training, it's the same thing. The biggest thing that women were having was just other stresses in their life and how to balance their their work life and family. And so I just found ways to kind of help them do that. We would talk it out. I would give them ideas on when they could and should work out. And then I went through a divorce and had about, had a, I always say I had about a breakdown, but I had a breakdown. Um, and all the tools that I use on everybody else just wasn't working for me that day. And I was like in fetal position for two days, couldn't move. I don't know how I got my kids to school. I don't know how anything happened. And in my head, I kept telling myself, you got to get up from here. You got to get up from here. And when you, when you get up from here, you got to start using your tools again. And when you use those tools and you get back 100%, you're going to start sharing those tools with people who have gone through what you've gone through. I appreciate that you talked about the darkness Two days in fetal position. I think we've, a lot of us have been there. Yeah, that's the first time I've actually like said it publicly. Oh, yeah. well, thanks for sharing yeah, with me. Yeah. Just so you know, I've been in fetal position <laughs> a lot. So, <laughs> Well, I have too, but not that, yeah. not that dark. That's hard. Yeah. Dark, dark is like hard. Yeah. Divorce is hard. Like it's not something a lot of people talk about. And, mm -hmm. you know, I like what you said. You said you told yourself to get up every day. Like what other tools sort of got you out of that? Because... Well, I, I could see what was happening, first of all. It wasn't really my choice to, to go through what I went through. Yeah. But just like I was saying about the body, mind, and spirit, sometimes something has to break down to wake you up. And I had to be broken all the way down for me to realize, okay, this is what's going on. <laughs> You're going to have to work through this on your own, be humble and ask for help. And if you really want to stand on your own two feet, you're going to have to get your ass up <laughs> and, and, and get going. And so I reached out to, I would say, five people that I really trust. And I was like, I did it. Half of it, I did it in tears. They had no idea what I was talking about and, um, and anger. 
but they helped me through it. And to this day, I still depend on those five people when, when something's kind of like, you know, off. And so I went to therapy, like, you know, a lot of people do. And the therapy, I got so far with it. And then she suggested, maybe you should do life coaching. So I was like, okay, so I do life coaching. And so life coach is like doing her life coach thing with me. And I had all the tools that she had. I know. I was like, I can see you being like, dude, I can do your job. (laughs) And, And basically I think it was like the second session. She's like, I think you should come to my certification class and get certified. Wow. And so I'm like, okay. And so we had to do these presentations and on, you know, how we would set up our business and what it would be based off of. And I remember just sitting like, I have no idea what I'm going to do for this presentation. And so I'd say by the third course, I got home and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but like if something comes to your head, you just, you got to get it out. And it was called the full 400 because I used to run a 400 in college and everything is kind of like full circle in life. Oh, and so everything was just like, yeah. And everything was just coming together. And I was just, and I was sitting up one night and I was just writing and all my really close friends know, like once my brain is going, like you're not going to stop me. So I was just writing, 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 writing. And it all just came together. And so I was like, oh, I could do a book. And then, um, you know, you Google stuff when you want to figure out what to do, at least to get started. And so I found a template and um, I start, and I'm, you know, I'm in the creative field outside of running. And I'm like, I can use everything in my toolbox to get this thing going. And I just started writing and I started drawing and I started, you know, organizing things. And I had a whole wall of post-its and pictures and whatever. And I just start putting it together. And pandemic hit in March of 2020. And I had been working on it off and on. And then after work every night, I'd just get into it and start working again. And I think I, I think I launched it April or May of 2020. And, um, and I launched it on Amazon Books. And the reaction was amazing. Nicole's drive and dedication inspires the heck out of me. It became clear as Nicole moved forward with Rise that she was on the right path. Things were falling into place for her. What happened next added another important piece to the puzzle. When we come back, Nicole talks about running for racial justice, starting a movement, and how you can get involved. Between her day job, writing a book at night, and being a mom, you'd think Nicole would be too tired to add anything else to her plate. But when Breonna Taylor was murdered in the spring of 2020, Nicole knew she had to do something. If you don't know Breonna's story, its initial absence from media coverage is part of what makes it so upsetting. The first time Nicole ran for Breonna, she was on her own but she quickly found a community that wanted to help give a voice to black women across America. So not only did you write this book during the pandemic, but you also like started a movement. (laughs) Yeah, the the book was ongoing. So that the book was ongoing well before the pandemic and then just publishing it to the site was what, what was the work I had to do. So that wasn't very hard. Um, And then yes, um, so March 2020 was the uh, pandemic when everybody had to go home and everything shut down. And then we heard about um, George Floyd and, well, we didn't hear about it. We actually saw it, which was devastating for 
millions of people. And then soon after we heard about him, we had heard about a Breonna Taylor and how she was killed in her home. Like I think the day that everybody went home for the pandemic and nothing was said about it. And she was gunned down in her apartment with her, you know, her boyfriend lived through it. And um, at the time I was on my own, at the time I had my daughter there, at the time my other daughter was on her own across over at, um, on the East coast. And I'm like, what if that would have happened to us? And nothing's going to be said. No one's going to get arrested. And like every time, and every time I saw the girl's name, Brianna Taylor, I just, it was just devastating for me. And I could relate to Tamika, who's her mother, because I couldn't even imagine losing one of my kids. And I mean, I just can't imagine that. And Every Christmas that comes around, every birthday that comes around, it's going to be hard for her. Um, I think her daughters are kind of the same age gap as mine. I don't know Tamika. She doesn't know me, but I just felt like I should be running for Brianna Taylor. So I started with a 30-day challenge. I posted on my on my Instagram, and um, I just felt really good that I was doing something because I'm not a big protester. I'm not, like, big and loud, and blah, 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 but I wanted to let people know about her name and who she was. So I made a little bib and I posted on IG and then my church family who I hadn't seen in like five or six years, they decided they wanted to do it because they're still doing fitness stuff over there without me. <laughs> and so they posted that they were doing it. And then I met a girl, Gina Wicksteed down at downtown San Diego. She had a group that was doing it, not mine, but she's doing her own. And we joined forces. And next thing you know, it, it was growing all over the country. And so we had 25 to 30 other cities involved. And yeah, and it was it was absolutely incredible. And like we would have 200 people come downtown to, to run with us. And it really made a statement. And um, I think we're coming up on the 700 day soon and she still doesn't have justice, but we're still out there. So, wow. Yeah. So you created a bib. A bib. And it just said Brianna Taylor on it. Wow. And her birthday. We would ask people to come out and they could not come out if they didn't have a mask and they and they didn't practice social distancing. So we were very adamant about that. Um, and so when we would, you know, join in a circle, we would be, you know, arm length apart. Um, we'd look out for each other. And then it just started building this community of people that we were always around. But we want to make sure that we're building a world where everyone's voice is heard. Mm. Unfortunately, when it comes to black women and getting murdered by either their spouse or police, you don't hear anything about it. Um, and it's the same with any woman, actually, um, depending on where they're from and where they're categorized and our social standards are. But uh, mainly um, black women, they, they don't get justice many times. And if you can't hear a black woman's voice, then you can't hear anyone else's voice. And so that's that's our our motto for that. So like I told our group, you know, I'm glad everybody's out here and that they support Breonna Taylor. But this is not a sprint. It's going to be. A marathon and at this point it's an ultra marathon so good for you yeah so i have a question mm -hmm. can white people run with you guys too you'd be surprised unity runners is mainly white people That's what I figured. <laughs> but then what happens is we have our unity runs and we have our major runs but we'll have four this year and that's black men's run comes out of san diego black girls run they come out and then what was happening during the pandemic a lot of minority groups were getting together and building running clubs and what was happening with that was that they were making people who don't look like the normal runner come out and run. 
And so now you have all these amazing people coming together, whatever your ethnicity was. You can come out to these groups and feel comfortable, actually train for a race and be supported in a race where that wasn't happening 100% before. And so that's what was coming out of all these different things. They would see what Unity Runners was doing. At the time, it was called Run for Brianna. And then that stirred up Ride for Brianna. And so that's a separate entity where we have all these bike riders. Cool. Yeah. And then we do stay in touch with Run for Brianna in Louisville. And that's where it happened, where she passed away. Um, and then we had one in Chicago and Texas and Hawaii and San Francisco. And so um, we'll have the big runs and we communicate with them and then they do it on, on their ends. How did you start other groups or did people just like, did you have guidelines or did people just, you're like, okay, all you have to do is. We were posting on Instagram and I think that's a huge, huge um, tool for anyone who's trying to grow anything. And we would just hashtag the crap out of Brianna Taylor and people were started following us. A lot of things that we got involved in, we, we directly asked Tamika, her mother, if it was okay, because we didn't want people to think we were using Brianna's name to sell things or to you know, get attention. That wasn't the intention. And so um, we do get her permission because we want to honor her name. And so um, it was funny because last year, me and Gina had a pretty deep conversation about her name. And we wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that was making people popular. It was actually making people start the conversation. As Nicole says, this movement is a marathon, not a sprint. Unity Runners has been running for Brianna for 700 days, and they're not planning on stopping anytime soon. As the group has grown, they've been able to partner with brands as they plan events and spread the word. You've gotten some other brands involved, too. Yes, we have. We have gotten um, Hoka is involved. Um, I think that's really our, our big one. Um, a lot of people are kind of afraid to touch the whole thing because of, you know, the whole social justice. And I'm, and I really was happy when Hoka reached out because before all this, even before actually, uh, this whole movement, they were already trying to make a voice for black voices because we do go hiking. <laughs> we do get in the water. We do go running. We do go biking. And, um, of course, you know, they were the first that w- that made a statement, put their foot down. And I mean, from African-Americans to trans, it, they they made a huge statement. I think it's really cool when brands get behind advocates making sports bigger yeah. for and, all. And I hope they continue it because I know when I was younger, I tried to get these sponsorships and it was hard for African-American women. Like you just you just didn't see us. It they were hard. not giving us money. And if they were giving us money, it'd be half of what, you know, my, our white counterparts were making. So I want them to understand that, you know, even though we make up 18 percent of our national population, we are one of the biggest influences around the world. Come, you know, think about music, think about sports, fashion, fashion, you know, even you know, in the boardrooms, we can make a huge difference. So when you're giving like this, we also need the voices behind it too. So, and I'm, I'm talking black voices, white voices, red, purple, green, like we need those voices out there because um, we have to work together in order to make a difference. But, you know, I grew up in, a, in an area in Missouri where it was predominantly white and I was usually only the only one in everything. And so I understand you're the only black girl in like everything. You Just did. about everything. There was That's me not easy. and one other person. Were your daughters like that growing up too? Rancho Bernardo, yeah, less than five percent. So, um, but I knew how to navigate through that. And like I would explain to them, like everyone has a life, everyone goes through something, 
And you have to look at it that way. You're going to face some situations that are going to be uncomfortable, but it's all in how you handle it. And so, um, so I understand where the mentality is with a lot of people who say all lives matter. And I understand the mentality of people who say black lives don't matter. I understand them <laughs> and I respect their positioning because that's all that they know. Yeah. Um, but black lives do matter. Yeah. Black lives yeah. matter. I agree with you on that one. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. I if think we you. can support you beyond bringing attention through this podcast, like what else can we do? Um, you know, just keep having these conversations. I know that you've spoken with a few other um, black leaders here in San Diego and, you know, and really all over the country. I appreciate like all the advocacy work you do. Mm -hmm. I think it takes courage. You have to be not afraid. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of things I get involved in, I'm very afraid. I get anxiety every time. Um, when we have our big events and I have to do the announcements and the speeches, I have anxiety. And I still had that voice in my head just when I was telling you when I, when I broke down and was like, you're going to get up from here, you're going to get up here. I tell myself, you're going to get through this because it's bigger than me. It's not about me. I just use myself as a vessel. And, you know, if I can help someone else, that's what I want to do. So you've been a runner for a long time. Do you have any advice around longevity, like eating, sleeping, training? Um, the sleeping right now is an issue only because I'm older. So, um, I try to just, you know, eat the right foods. That's my biggest thing is eating the right foods. My mom kind of started that at a, I think I was like 13 or 14 when she started doing this. We thought we were, we thought she was kind of crazy at the time. She's like, I'm cutting out salt. I'm cutting out grease. And we're like, oh, okay. But she found ways to cook that were still very tasty, you know? And so, um, I just kind of picked that up. And so, um, I just make sure I, I watch what I eat. Um, and if there's something I feel that's uh, detrimental to my body, I just kind of stay away from it. Um, drink a lot of water and I do a lot of running <laughs> and weightlifting too helps a lot, a lot. So, yeah. And then any advice for getting involved in a movement like yours? It can be intimidating and a little scary. If there's something you want to do and there's fear involved, that's just there to stop you. So you're going to have to step over it. Um, I tell my daughters that all the time. I think that's why my oldest one is, well, both of them actually, I think that's why they're ex successful at what they do. Um, I told them like, if you're not scared, then you know, you're too comfortable and you need to step out of that and you need to push through it. Step over your fear, see it, acknowledge it, and then let that fear know that it's not needed. Time and time again, Nicole's overcome her fears in order to keep pushing, keep running, and to keep standing up for what she knows is right. Nicole Hodges, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had such a great time talking with you in person. I really hope we can run together sometime soon. You can follow Nicole at scenicrun01 on Instagram. That's S-E-E-N-I-C-R-U-N-0-1. You can also check out her website, scenicrun.com. To learn more about Unity Runners, you can follow them on Instagram, at Unity Runners, and you can find out about their upcoming events at unityrunners.com. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, Written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas, and our senior producer is Chelsea Davis. 
Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow this show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.